You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. Today we get to continue our series with Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District and author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People. We are going to dig into leadership today, continue the conversation, talk about God's plan for leaders. Bishop Hardy, welcome back to The Coffee Hour. Thanks for having me. So today we we get to continue our conversation in leadership. Last time we made a case for looking at leadership from a biblical perspective, looking at examples of leadership in God's word. Today we dig into a plan, a God's plan for leaders, and you have some examples for us as well. How does the Bible speak to the topic of leadership? You, you gave us a, a good glimpse of that last time. Maybe unpack that a little more for us this time. Yeah, so the biblical model of leadership begins primarily with one simple command that Jesus himself gives in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. For me, that simple command of God sets the tone for all leadership. Loving God and loving the neighbor is the central motivational factor that helps us all understand why, how, and what the motivation is for us to be leaders in the church. Also, the important understanding that it is it is the power of the Holy Spirit living in us that allows us to be driven to be effective leaders from the right motivational perspective. It is not out of self-gain or glory, but it is out of service and love to God and to the neighbor. Simply put, for me, effective pastoral leaders understand that everything they say and do is a example and a reference to what Christ has first done for them. And, And frankly, in my experience as bishop and president, as I go throughout my district and synod, Whenever I I, I come across difficult situations or problematic situations, often at the root of those problematic situations is either the leader or those being led who have ignored this great command of God to love him and love the neighbor as the central motivational factor. That That is really one of the most important aspects in my mind to any leadership but specifically in this case to pastoral leadership. So what about Jethro? What do we learn from Jethro's plan? You know, the the story of of Moses and Jethro for me has always been a a twofold thing. When I was doing my doctorate in 2012, I remember a lot of folks would harass me that I was getting a doctorate in business administration. And how does that have anything to do with the church? And how does... How does that have anything to do with being a pastoral leader? And and I tell people the very first business structure and the very first leadership principles in the Bible are given in the story of Moses and his father-in-law Jethro. Moses was judging every scenario that was going on with the Israelites post-leaving Egypt. And Jethro came to his son-in-law and he said, look, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to run yourself ragged if you try to hear all of these cases and judge everything. And so he put together a business plan 
that had basically in many respects is very similar to our court system today with the local court, the circuit court, the superior court, state supreme court, federal court, federal supreme court, where the, the, the higher you go in the court system, the, the higher the authority is ending up at the Supreme Court. And so in, in Jethro's model to Moses in the Old Testament, Moses would be the sole arbiter of the final word to judge pretty much everything that came to him. The little disputes, though, however, were handled by the local magistrates or circuit courts, so the, the leaders of the communities where the folks lived. And, and frankly, it really, if you, if you dive into it and really tear it apart, it is just a marvelous way for the church to understand that leadership is born out of organization and structure, and that it also tells us that even the highest of all leaders has to have people below them who have responsibilities and duties that they carry out at high levels to make the entire program work effectively. And, and for me, it was just a fascination when I was doing my doctorate in leadership to, to examine this Moses story with his father-in-law, Jethro, and, and just to understand the application. Not only is it a business structure, but it also is a leadership structure. And then it really, it carries itself forward throughout the whole of the biblical narrative, going right up to the point of Jesus's own trial and, and the whole passion story of Holy Week. I mean, here you have Pontius Pilate pleading to the crowd with the annual event of releasing a prisoner, and the authority that Pilate has to simply let Jesus go was overtaken because Pilate's leadership was influenced by the local community, and he gave Barabbas to the community instead of Jesus. And the thing about that story that really demonstrates a lack of courage and leadership is Pontius Pilate said, I see no fault in this man and still let Barabbas go. Pontius Pilate's wife, if you've ever read Paul Meyer's Pontius Pilate story, you know, came to, to uh, Pilate and said, you should have nothing to do with this man, you know, get rid of him. And yet Pilate was overcome with the community and the pressure rather than knowing what he should do he did not do, which was let Jesus go. So the Jethro story for me is the beginning of the leadership examples of the Bible and frankly, the pinnacle and foundation for all of our biblical leadership. And I want to look at the Moses Jethro story a little more in just a moment. But before that, you've mentioned a couple of times that we sometimes are reluctant to look at that to consider scripture as a business plan or as leadership, you know, instruction or or guide for leadership that we often avoid it. Or we think that there's this, when we're looking for leadership, we, we, we look everywhere else, but God's word, mm. look at uh, that, that leadership is too corporate. Mm. The topic of leadership. Why are we reluctant to, <laughs> why is there that chasm there? Why, why do we have this, I don't know, reluctance to look at leadership within the church and look at it within God's word. Well, for me, and, and again, this is just a personal opinion, but I, I, I think I have some strong evidence to back it up. We don't, ha we do not have many, if at all, leadership 
texts. There's only one other leadership Lutheran book that I know of, and and the, the author's last name is Dale. We used it at seminary. It's called Pastoral Leadership, and and it's not a bad book in any way. It's it's older, but the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and I think Lutheranism in general is very devoid of taking this topic on because of fear that other theologians will level accusations that it's not biblical. Leadership is a man-made thing. And, and that's the criticisms I received early on in my doctorate, that, that leadership is, is a corporate thing. It's man-made. It's, it's, not a, it's not a thing that the Bible talks about. And, and yet I argue that the greatest examples of leadership were given to us with Jesus. Here you have a perfect, sinless man, born of flesh, born in his own creation, who carried out the work of salvation in the face of great torment, in the face of great pain and suffering, who along the way taught and led those who were around him. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, the giving of the Lord's Prayer, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with the boys' lunch. I mean, all of these things demonstrate the leadership capacities that God is expecting us to give. And, and, and again, I think the church is afraid to deal with leadership in the same way that, that I try to deal with in, in my book, because there's, there's a misnomer that leadership is not biblical. And one of the things I've, I've tried to do in the book, and one of the things I've tried to do in my eight years as president and bishop of the English district, and my whole career as a pastor, is to kind of debunk that, that leadership is a spiritual gift that God gives, and that even those that don't have that gift can increase their ability as a leader by learning, modeling, taking after those who are great leaders, and utilizing those techniques in service to God and the church, and not to be afraid of it. I mean, that, that for me, that's one of the big deals. You know, we, we ought not be afraid of the gifts that God gave us. And one of the principles, as we can certainly talk about later in another episode, is, you know, making tough choices as a leader. And it takes courage. It takes, you know, it takes great courage and trust in God, because oftentimes the great leaders who make the tough decisions are going to be criticized. They're going to be talked about. They're going to be made fun of. And one ought have a backbone that allows them to stand in the fray and not wither. All right, let's go back to the Moses-Jethro scenario. What was happening with Moses that Jethro got involved? Now, granted, Jethro is his father-in-law, so he probably has some interest, but what was going mm -hmm. on with Moses that, that Jethro now has an interest in what's happening with Moses and then offers a plan? Well, I mean, I think what I had said previously is is probably the single greatest issue that that Jethro was concerned about. And that was that Moses was going to, you know, run himself ragged. He was trying to do everything. He was trying to, you know, judge everything and meet every challenge on his own accord with his own hands. And it just began to be problematic. And I think, you know, Jethro was, was loving his son-in-law, caring about his daughter's husband, which I think, you know, ultimately has great effect on, on, you know, his daughter 
And I think too often we simply forget that loving each other means we're going to pay attention to what's going on with each other and that we're going to need that support. And so I, I think ultimately at the very onset of, of Jethro's conversation with Moses, it was born out of concern for his physical well-being. Very simply put, his physical well-being. So that's my take. Moses is becoming overwhelmed with judging. All the people are bringing their cases to him. He's judging them and just overwhelmed with this. Jethro steps in, offers a plan, and we'll talk more about what that plan is in just a moment. We're talking about leadership with Bishop Jameson Hardy here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are in our leadership series with Bishop Jameson Hardy. He's author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. All right, before we went to break, we were talking about Moses and Jethro. Moses being overwhelmed by all the people bringing their cases to him for him to judge them. And then Jethro steps in with a plan. Tell us more about the plan that Jethro presents to Moses that you say is, is valuable when, we look, when we're looking at leadership. Well, let me take you to the actual biblical text. Okay. This is Exodus chapter 18. And it says this at the beginning of the chapter, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And by the way, I don't want to pass by that too quickly. Jethro himself was a priest. And, and so he, he also understood some of the burdens that Moses was undertaking from a spiritual perspective. But the text goes on to say, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. And, and, and here again, I think Jethro is concerned. He's concerned about what's going on with the wife, the grandchildren. And it goes on to say, Moses, his father-in-law, came with him, his sons and his wife, and Moses in the wilderness where he was in camp, <laughs> sorry, at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, your father-in-law, Jethro, is coming to you, Moses must have known, okay, here comes my father-in-law. Whatever comes next is going to be a chastisement, right? Or whatever comes next is going to be a corrective action from the father-in-law to the son. And I think ultimately there is some of that going on here in this, in this text. And then it says, then Moses met or told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, 
all the hardships that had come upon him on the way and how the Lord had delivered him. Jethro said this, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of Egypt and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with his people. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, then he went on to have a sacrifice and, and did that. Then it says this, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And right there is your key. From morning until evening, the people stood around Moses. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing with the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? So he repeats it twice. He repeats it twice that Moses is doing this from morning to evening. Because the people come to me, Moses, to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. I decided between one person and another. I make them known and the status to God and to his law. This is what, this is what Jethro said. What you are doing is not good. He says it is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it all alone. Now, obey my voice. This is what I said earlier, that when it says Moses' father-in-law was coming to speak to him, and there must be chastisement, because now the father-in-law employs the fourth commandment here. This was a business structure and a leadership structure that Moses had no choice, because the father-in-law is now calling out the fourth commandment. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws, the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place these men over the people as chiefs on thousands, on hundreds, on fifties, and tens, and then let them judge the people. So right there is what I was saying earlier, that there's levels of the judgment going on here. There's a corporate structure of the judges that judge 10, judges that judge 50, judges that judge 100, judges that judge 1,000. And then Moses is reserved for the grandiose decisions, those that must be taken to God. And, and, and I just I find it very interesting that Jethro is suggesting to Moses and then he follows that suggestion with, or excuse me, he begins by a command, and then he gives it as a suggestion. So Moses receives this command as a suggestion, but knowing that it's not a suggestion, it's a command. And it, it's, it's beautiful because Jethro says it so clearly, now obey my voice. I'm your father-in-law. You are going to be doing what I say. You're married to my daughter. You're going to wear yourself out. And then the text ends by saying this. So Moses listened to the voice of Jethro, his father-in-law, and did all that he said he should. Moses chose able men out of, the, out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifty, and of ten. And they judged the people at all times. And so, I mean, this is really, again, I've never had somebody been able to argue with me 
that this is a biblical leadership structure that is employed by Jethro and, and again, employed not necessarily simply as a suggestion, but also as preservation so that Moses doesn't just flat out kill himself working to, to take care of the people. So what do we learn about delegation from this? I feel like a lot of <laughs> leaders or people, I should say, people in leadership positions, whether or not they have volunteered for those positions, delegation is something we struggle with. I feel like that that we like to have control, like to do things ourselves. What does what does this story teach us about the value of delegation? That is a a great question. Can I say, Sarah? I would like to take this up as a whole episode later, but I'll just I'll say now, uplifting others to lead around you is the greatest sign of great leadership. Jeff Iorg, this seminary professor from California, and Mark Sanborn. Mark Sanborn wrote a little book called You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader. And the thing about this book that it's really small, it's, it's, it's a great book, is very simply this. You are... N- not always required to have a title in order to have a significant leadership position. However, the greatest leaders help uplift those around them to be effective leaders, even without titles. And I, I, I tell my confirmands and I tell the religion class at Our Savior Lutheran in Heartland, Michigan, where I'm an associate pastor, that they should be leaders, not followers. Every class period when I'm done, and especially to the young men in that class, but I say it to the whole class, be a leader, not a follower. And I walk out of the room, be a leader, not a follower. And part of that is also human nature. It's also a very strong desire by many to simply follow what they're being told to do. Here's what you should do, go and do it. It's why I detest the mega church movement as if in some way you can just take what's successful at one location and in one parish and just implement it somewhere else. Understanding that what's making it successful in one place is like, not only likely, but it is, it is the combination of those specific leaders in that location, laity, as well as the called pastor that God has placed, as well as all the workers. And we, we, we simply think that the recipe, like a good cake or, or a good casserole, can just be, the recipe can just be made again in another location. When it comes to leadership and success in the church, I totally do not believe that that is true because you devalue the relationship between the lay leadership, the called workers, the partnership together, the environment cannot just be picked up and slapped somewhere else expected to be as successful. And so I think any successful ministry, organization, business within the church is going to have a leader who will constantly be looking to uplift others in their leadership roles, to empower them to be effective leaders, to encourage them to be effective leaders, and do what Moses did. Choose from among you the righteous and God-fearing, in this case, in the, in the Old Testament, the men. But I think it's applicable to everyone in the church in a congregational setting. But notice the list, you know, not given in to bribes. I mean, all the way back in Moses's time, bribery for favors in leadership was going on, and Jethro acknowledged that. And, and, and that's the other thing, too, that 
we we must understand the first Timothy qualities of of a a good pastoral leader. One of those is not a lover of money, right? And so these qualities have been carried on from the Old Testament to present. So in this account of Moses and Jethro and who we're looking at as a leader, is it Moses or Jethro that we're looking at as a leader? Mm. Well, I think initially, without a doubt, it's Jethro. But Jethro empowers Moses, just going back to Sarah's question. It empowers Jethro, the leader, empowers Moses to now become the leader. And and it's the kind of the passing of the baton that has been given to me over my life. My pastor and sainted teacher, Ralph Fisher, you know, he told me in third grade, you're going to be a pastor. And I told him, no, I'm going to play football for the Lions. That didn't work out. And God still did great stuff through me. And I, again, it's the passing of the torch to those. Every time I see young men in the church when I'm visiting, and I just see the spirit resting on them, I'll go after them. When are you going to seminary? You know, in fact, I just did this. I went back to Pittsburgh to an ordination a couple of weeks ago and a family who I had known for years at a sister congregation's son just graduated from high school and he's going to college. And they, they said to me, they said, you know, maybe you should talk to our son about going to the seminary. And so I just went on full court press attack. When are you going to seminary? Which seminary are you going to? You better go study, you know, the languages. I gave him no room, no quarter. I'm passing on the leadership of Baton, just like Jethro did. Listen to what I say. Now do it, you know. And, And I think ultimately for me in my life, it is why I am where I am, because those, specifically the pastors and, and, and those in my life, my great, my grandmother, Ellen Hardy, who, who passed away a couple of years ago, greatest leader I've ever been blessed to be around, quietly led with example and not word. It's not always in de- word, and, and a lot of times it's in deed. What would you like to take a look at next time when we meet to talk about leadership? Yeah, I think the next time I'd like to talk about the painful side of leadership, difficulties as a pastoral leader. And, and there's a lot in, in this, this topic. For most of us, people need to just understand that becoming a biblical leader means you're going to get assaulted. Satan is going to want to destroy you, you know. And so just the fact that you're entering into that, into that leadership is alone going to be problematic. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. Thanks so much for being our guest today. Thank you. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.